Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the second in our Tough Questions series. And today we're going to look at the question of homosexuality. And uh, I'm so glad that we have Jonathan Berry and Rob Wood from the True Freedom Trust to come and speak to us on this subject. These guys are in a Christian ministry of connecting with all kinds of people, including young people, speaking about this interesting, topical, sometimes controversial and crucial question, what about homosexuality? These guys have driven a long way to be with us today. They're going to be speaking to us, taking your questions. So I wonder if right now you would join me in giving a huge New Day welcome to Jonathan Berry and Robert. Let's welcome them, shall we? That's great. Thank you so much for that really warm welcome. We are so pleased to be here, Rob and I, for the very first time at New Day. And uh, it's just so good to be here. And thank you for coming to this seminar. Um, So in case you haven't worked it out, I'm Jonathan. And I'm going to introduce my colleague Rob in just a moment. And just to help you remember which one is which, I'm the old and nearly bald one. And he is the baby-faced and really tall one, as you'll see in a moment when he stands up. Um, as Adrian has said, we work for a Christian ministry called True Freedom Trust, uh, TFT for short, and we're really passionate about two things. Firstly, we love to help people of all ages, and particularly young people, to understand that what God says in the Bible about sex and relationships is actually really good. And the reason why it's really good is because God himself is really good. He's our maker. He created us. And so he actually knows what's good for us. The second thing that we're really passionate about is helping people who might identify themselves as gay or, in fact, identify themselves in any kind of way sexually. We want people to know that God loves them and that actually he sent the Lord Jesus into the world to die for them so that they can come to know him and enjoy life to the full. Now, I'm very conscious, as I say that this morning, that for some of you here this morning... Uh, that may be a word that you identify yourself in that way, maybe as gay, maybe as bisexual, or in fact, maybe you prefer no label at all or some other label. And uh, by the way, I'm not looking at anybody particular at the moment, so just in case you think, oh no, he's looking at me, he thinks I'm gay, he thinks I'm gay. I really don't, okay? I'm as blind as a bat, even with these glasses, and I can't see any of you really properly with the lights on, so don't panic. But um, I want to assure you this morning that we're not here to get at anybody, That's really important. And that actually, no matter how you describe yourself, whether you describe yourselves as gay, bisexual, maybe you're unsure about your sexuality. Maybe for some of you this morning you've had a crush uh, on a same-sex friend or you've thought lustful thoughts about somebody of the same sex. But we're not here to get at you. And we want to assure you that however you describe yourself sexually, God loves you and sent Jesus to die for you. Now, we've been given a really easy title to talk on this morning, Homosexuality. Surely in 2016, God doesn't have a problem with gay sex. Uh, yeah, that's a, quite a tricky title. Uh, just so that you know, round about halfway through, so that's probably going to be about five past 12-ish, uh, we're going to stop and we're going to take questions. So do be thinking about questions that you might want to ask as Rob and I uh, are speaking. Now, this idea that there's no problem with gay sex, it's certainly the message I'm sure that you are receiving at school, at college. It's the message that you're receiving on TV, social media magazines. If two people of the same sex love each other and want to have sex together, well, what is the problem? They're not harming anyone. If they love each other, isn't your God a God of love, people might say? Uh, do any of you watch Modern Family? Any, any, anyone watch Modern Family? Oh, yeah, some of you do. Great. A cheer for Modern Family. It is a really funny show. Uh, I enjoy watching it myself. But the title, if you think about it, says it all, doesn't it? If you're a modern, up-to-date person, well, then you are going to be supportive of same-sex relationships and same-sex marriages. So people such as Mitch and Cam, if you've not seen the show, and uh, their adopted daughter, Lily, from Vietnam, you're going to be supportive of those only if you're a modern person. When uh, Sam Smith came out as gay in 2014, 
Uh, he revealed that his uh, very first album, In the Lonely Hour, was uh, actually inspired by a man that he loved. And he said, it's as normal as my right arm. It's as normal as my right arm. And that's where we are culturally. It's just normal now to come out as gay. But you know, it's not just celebs who are coming out as gay today. Fictional characters too. I don't know if you realize this, but Iceman, uh, one of the very first X-Men, uh, he's been in the closet since 1963, but readers have now been informed that Iceman is gay. And uh, I don't know if you've seen the latest uh, Star Trek movie, Beyond Any Trekkies In? Nobody admitting to... Oh, a few, a few admitting to be Trekkies. Well, of course, you'll know if you're a Trekkie that uh, in the latest movie it's been revealed that Lieutenant Sulu is also gay. Now, of course, with everybody around us in our culture, at our schools and colleges, many of our friends thinking differently on this issue and believing, hey, surely there's no problem with gay sex in 2016. It's very easy, isn't it, for us as Christians to cave into pressure. And we feel that pressure, don't we? We maybe become a bit ashamed of the gospel, ashamed of what Christians think and say on the issue of same-sex relationships. But I want you to listen this morning to what the Apostle Paul said in a letter to the Romans. This is what he said about the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So the gospel then, the good news of Jesus Christ, is God's power. That, the Greek word for power there is dunamis. Uh, we get our English word dynamite from that Greek word. So the good news of Jesus Christ is God's dynamite, if you like, the explosive power of God for everyone who believes. You notice that word everyone? Everyone who believes. There are no exceptions. There are no exclusions. There are no exemptions. The power of God, the gospel, is God's power for everyone who believes. No matter what, uh, however you might describe yourself sexually this morning. If you're just plain confused about your sexuality this morning, the gospel is God's power for your salvation. And that's my cue to ask uh, Rob to come up. And now you'll see that he really is a lot taller than I am. So Rob, come forward. Uh, do you want to give Rob a welcome? Now, Rob, um, as people can probably see, you're a little bit younger than me, not much, but a little bit. Uh, you're 26. Uh, you find people of the same sex attractive. You're single and you're celibate. So what on earth is going on? I mean, have you just not found the man of your dreams yet? So that's a really easy question to start New Day. Thank you. Um, so the reason I am single and celibate is because I believe God created sex as a really good gift but one to be enjoyed exclusively within the context of heterosexual marriage. That's what I believe the Bible teaches, which is God's word, and that's what the Holy Spirit has convinced me of during my life. Okay, so when did you first realise then that you were attracted to people of the same sex? What sort of age were you? I was around 10 years old, 10, 11 years old. I didn't know what was happening. I just always found my male friends at school attractive, and I was never interested in girls. Um, and yeah, like I said, I didn't fully understand what was going on. I started to hear the word gay at school, and I only ever heard it in negative ways. So I didn't want that to be true of me, but when I grew up, I kind of found out, wow, this is me, I'm gay, and I didn't really know what to do with that. Okay. Uh, and were you a Christian at that stage when you were kind of realising that you were attracted to people of the same sex? I became a Christian when I was about 10 or 11 as well. I heard the gospel for the first time. Um, a local church youth group, responded to it. So, yeah, I was a Christian. Okay. And is that the reason, perhaps, why you didn't want to be gay? Because you thought, oh, no, God is anti-gay. God won't like me. He won't accept me if I'm gay. Is that the reason? No, no. I always knew that God loved me. I always knew that he sent Jesus to die for me. He loved me unconditionally. Um, but growing up at church, um, there were some things that were unhelpful. So... Whenever a gay issue was addressed at church, it was always to make a political point about how the nation was turning away from God. And that made me feel like I was somehow part of this mass of people that was against the church in some way. 
um, Louise phrases used, like, it's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, um, which weren't really that helpful for me because I never found Eve that attractive at all. <laughs> and I had this kind of teaching that if I just had enough faith, God will answer whatever prayer I wanted answering. And I believed I had faith. I wanted God to answer my prayers, to find girls attractive, and to stop finding guys attractive. But that never happened for me. So I kind of felt like it was my fault that I was gay. But Mm. even through all of that confusion, I still knew that God loved me unconditionally. So you say that you wanted to find girls attractive, but are you saying that you've only ever found uh, guys attractive? You've never had any attractions to girls at all? No, not at all. I did try um, when I was a teenager. I even took one girl on a date, which didn't go too well. Um, took her to McDonald's, and it kind of went down. McDonald's, downhill. okay. <laughs> That's possibly where you went wrong, isn't it, really? Not the best, not the best place to start a date. I did but pay anyway. for it. I must you that. paid for it as yeah. well? Wow. But, okay. Yeah, it didn't go too well. So I did try dating girls. I tried to conjure up those feelings, but it just never happened. Okay. And um, have you ever acted on your same-sex attractions, or is that just something that you've been battling with and resisting temptation? Yeah, I had some sexual experiences with guys in my early 20s. Um, yeah, I think I was fed the message that I'm sure we're all getting in this tent, that I needed to have sex to be happy, and I needed to be in a romantic relationship to be happy. So I did act on my attractions, and I also entered a brief same-sex relationship. Um, But really, God convinced me that that isn't the way he wanted me to live, that Mm -hmm. he wanted me to live differently to that. And yeah, he convicted me by the Holy Spirit, and I just decided I had to live my life differently, even with these temptations. Yeah, okay. Now, some people here, and it may well be some people in this tent, but certainly people that I know would say, look, We're in 2016, the world has just moved on, gay people can even get married today. In fact, that's that's the title of our seminar, it's 2016. Does God really still have a problem with gay sex if you're in a loving relationship? And if so, why? Yeah, I think lots of things do change in culture, don't they? But I'll, I'll take issue, if you like, with one of those things. I don't think things have changed that much, in a sense. Um, the context that some of the New Testament was written in is actually very similar to the world we're growing up now mm. in 21st century Britain. Um, and there are many, many things that never change. Okay? Our hearts never change. They're naturally rebellious against God, wanting to do our own thing. God never changes. He can be depended on always. And his timeless ethic and his timeless morality never changes either. So the Bible doesn't change. God's word doesn't change. So I don't really care that it's 2016. God hasn't changed. His word is still good, and we should still follow that as Christians. But God is a God of love, though, isn't he? Why would he not want you to be in a loving relationship? Yeah, God is a God of love, but I think God defines the boundaries for erotic love. He's our creator. He has that right over my life to define the boundaries of how I express Um, myself sexually, what I do with my body. And we need to also remember that erotic love, having sex, is not the only type of love. The Bible talks so much about many other types of love, which are also really, really important. And it's easy to forget that in our sex-obsessed culture. So why then do you believe that actually what God says uh, in the Bible about, you know, uh, any sex outside of marriage not being uh, pleasing to him. Why do you still believe that? What, 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 what part of the Bible is it that tells us that? I think a really helpful thing to do is to go right to the very start of the Bible, right to Genesis 2, verse 24. And this is before sin entered the world. It's before the fall. And here God's defining what marriage is. He says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That's what God says a marriage is. Um, There's four elements, really. A man leaves his family unit to set up a new family unit. So it's a definite transition. It's not just, let's move in together, see how it goes, maybe we'll get married, maybe we won't. There's a definite commitment and transition. It's a man being united to his wife, so not a woman to a wife or a man to a husband. There's a complementarity between the sexes. That's how God designed it and created us. Um, And there's a commitment there as well, and a one flesh union. And that's the context that God has created sex to be enjoyed in. And what we can do is we could tie a thread round that verse in the Bible, Genesis 2.24, God's definition of marriage. 
and we can pull it all the way through the Bible, through the prophets, through the Old Testament. Jesus quotes it, the Apostle Paul quotes it. We can pull it all the way through the New Testament, right through to Revelation. And everything else that God's Word says about sex and relationships is built on that unchanging foundation. Okay, now there are some books out there and there were some blogs out there that actually take issue with what you're saying and say, hey, no, actually, if you're a Christian, it's okay for you to be in a loving same-sex relationship. I mean, have you never been tempted to look at that teaching and have you not been convinced by it? Yeah, I really wanted to believe it, okay? I was in a same-sex relationship. I studied all the books. I wanted to believe them. And there were a number of reasons that I couldn't. I mean, firstly, very simply, Nowhere in the entire Bible, which is a Christian's ultimate authority, did I see God saying that same-sex relationships were holy and pleasing to him. Um, A second thing you'll find is that a half dozen or so times the Bible forbids same-sex practice. What people are trying to do is say, oh, this Greek word didn't really mean that, or the context was slightly different. And it doesn't really look at the big picture of what God created sex for. It doesn't look at that thread from Genesis 2.24, all the way through to the end of the Bible. And even when it does try to undo some of those verses, it just isn't true. You know, the, the verses, the plain meaning of a text is really obvious, and maybe we can get into that later. Sure, but, I mean, some of my gay friends will say to me, well, look, Jesus doesn't even mention same-sex relationships. I mean, isn't that true? Not, not really. Okay, Jesus defines marriage as being between one man and one woman in Matthew 19 when he's answering a question on divorce. Um, Jesus was also Jewish. He was a word of God made flesh, so he upheld perfectly the Jewish law. And in Mark 7, we're going to bring up a verse. In Mark 7, Jesus says something really, really interesting. He says, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. So he's answering a question here from the Pharisees, the religious rulers on ritual washing. He says, what comes out defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within and they defile a person. And if we just zoomed in on that word sexual immorality, the Greek word is porneia, and it means any and all sex that takes place outside of that Genesis 2.24 context. Any and all sex that take place outside of heterosexual marriage. It's kind of like when the Bible says, don't get drunk. Okay, it doesn't mean you're okay to get drunk on beer, but not vodka, wine, spirits. Okay, it means don't get drunk on wine, on spirits, on vodka. It means don't get drunk at church, at New Day, not that you would, I'm sure, at home. Don't get drunk anyway. It's an all-inclusive term. And that's what that word sexual immorality that Jesus uses means. That's how his early listeners would have understood him, that it means any and all sex outside of heterosexual marriage. Mm. So just say that there is somebody here today, and there may be a few people here today, who are feeling that their attractions may be exclusively towards those of the same sex. Uh, What hope would you offer to them from what you're saying from the Bible? It doesn't sound very positive. Yeah, there can be a real cost in following Jesus, and Jesus urges us to count that cost. Um, And all I would say to you is that the cost is definitely worth it. I've found that in my own life. The cost is worth it. So in what ways would you say then it's worth it? So you're striving for celibacy, 26. Uh, I mean, have you found joy in that? Have you found satisfaction in that? Or is it just, are you kind of like one of these nuns? You know, you're just very, very, you know, I don't know. It doesn't sound a very exciting life. Yeah, only on the weekends. Um, Only on the weekends, okay. So, yeah, there's been more joy and more satisfaction in following Christ than I ever had in a same-sex relationship. More fulfillment. And I don't think God wants us to be superficially happy. He wants to give us an indestructible, incredible joy that would last through whatever circumstances we face. Mm. And we don't need to go looking to other people or sexual or romantic relationships to find that indestructible joy. Um, I'll just read a verse that really struck me when I was deciding for myself whether following Jesus with my whole life, including my sex life, is worth it. It was a verse that the Holy Spirit powerfully used in my life. It says that the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and then covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. 
who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Okay, the kingdom of heaven, the rule and reign of God, God's people in God's place under God's rule is a treasure and a pearl of more value than anything that the merchant gave up or the man who stumbled over the treasure in the field gave up. We're saved by grace alone, but there are things that Jesus calls us to give up when following him. And I could just say that it's been worth it. It has been definitely, definitely worth it in my life. Fantastic. Now, final question for you. Um, You helped write uh, this book, which uh, is up on the screen there, called Satisfaction Guaranteed, uh, A Future and a Hope for Same-Sex Attracted Christians. I guess that's picking up, is it, on what you've just been saying, that actually it is really worth following Jesus and denying yourself a same-sex relationship. Can you tell us a little bit about that book and who it's for? Uh, Is it only for people who are struggling this way? Uh, Why is it worth looking at? definitely for people who struggle in this way, but it's for anyone who wants to know more about this subject. Anyone who just thinks, oh, it's a bit unfair that gay people aren't allowed to have sex if they're Christians. Or anyone who is supporting someone who is struggling with these issues. Um, Just an aside, it's actually really hard to write a book. Jonathan asked me about a year ago, and I thought it would be easy, but it really isn't. It was really tough. So hopefully that hard work paid off, and you'll find it helpful. That's great. Thank you very much. Okay, so... Does everyone want me to turn the tables on Jonathan? He's interrogated me a bit, so I think I should interrogate him. I'm old. They're not interested in me. Um, Just tell people, how did you come to faith in Christ? Okay. uh, Well, I was brought up uh, in a church-going family, so I was taken to church from a very young age and um, around about the age, a bit like Rob, around about the age of 10 or 11, I started to become conscious of feeling attractions to some of my male friends and was trying to work out, really, how do I reconcile those desires for the same sex with belief in God. I wasn't a Christian, but I was certainly a a believer in God. I believed that the Bible was true. Um, And really, I couldn't find any way to bring those two things together. I started drifting away from church around about the age of 13, 14. I actually made a deal with my parents that if I didn't have to go every week, I'd go at Christmas and Easter. And they amazingly agreed to that. I thought that was a pretty good deal. Please don't try this at home. Um, but for me, that was great. And then around about the age of 17, I started to identify myself as being gay. Uh, not a word that I used openly to others, but inwardly, I thought, this isn't going away. And I actually ended up then getting involved in a same-sex relationship with another boy of my own age. We met on holiday. And we were in a same-sex relationship for seven years, from age 17 to 24. And then over the last, particularly the last year of that relationship, I really sensed God powerfully convicting me that this was wrong. And in fact, my whole life by that stage, I'd completely moved away from God. And I just really began to, began to feel a sense of being under God's judgment and that I was destined not for a life in heaven, but actually for a life in hell excluded from the presence of God. And that really actually frightened me. This was all going on internally in my heart. And so I walked into a church one Sunday morning and uh, met with a minister of that church, and uh, he simply read to me a scripture from the Old Testament. Some of you might know this scripture, quite a well-known one, from Jeremiah chapter 29, where it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you'll call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. And really, as those words were read, they were like a sword into my heart, and especially that last word, captivity. I just was really convicted. Hey, I thought I'd made this sort of free will decision to be involved in a same-sex relationship. I thought it would bring me happiness, but actually all it had done is led me into captivity and away from God. And uh, so that was the moment, really, where I put my trust in Jesus Christ and uh, decided from that point on to follow Jesus. So you left that relationship? I did. I left that relationship, yeah. So seven years? Yeah. A seven-year relationship. How hard was that? Uh, yeah, in many ways, it was very tough to leave that relationship. We were very much in love. We shared a home together. Um, and, of course, my partner didn't react too well. You can imagine if you tell someone you're leaving them for someone else, that's pretty bad anyway. If you tell them that person is God, it doesn't go down too well. And he wasn't too happy. Um, but I was just so convinced that that was what was right. I just didn't see that it was possible to follow Christ and to continue being in a same-sex relationship. And I think the way I describe it as I look back, it was like the love of Christ for me, was so powerful and just drove out the love that I had for my partner. Uh, So there was just no question that we would stay together. 
to be used um, to serve him. So uh, I've kind of been through that process of people praying for me, people praying over me. Uh, one time, well, in fact, a number of times, I've had people try to deliver me from the demon of homosexuality. And, and that always makes me laugh a little bit because when I think of a demon of homosexuality, I just have this vision in my head of all these camp demons. And they're sort of floating around in the heavenlies. You know what I mean? And sort of Graham Norton lookalikes and they're there wearing their red jumpsuits and waving rainbow flags or something. As I say, that's not been my experience. That's an insight into your mind. Uh, that's an insight into my mind. I have a bit of a warped sense of humor. But uh, yeah, so I've not been set free and God has been teaching me that it's possible to live a, a, a fulfilled life as a single man. Great. So the verse that brought you to faith really was from the Old Testament. And there are some people that say Christians are just hypocrites. Okay, You believe some things that in the Old Testament says, but you ignore a lot of things that the Old Testament says. Um, just to let everyone in on this, I saw Jonathan eating a bacon sandwich earlier today, and the Bible says, the Old Testament says, you should not eat pork. So how do we discern, you know, what to follow in the Old Testament, what not to follow? Do we just ignore it all? What okay, thanks for revealing my sin there, or is it sin? Um, yeah, if we're going to do confessions, I mean, I also quite like sausage sandwiches, and I like prawn cocktail crisps, and all of those have been in the Old Testament too. Yeah, it's a really good question. How do we actually, uh, as Christians, work out um, what we do with the Old Testament? Does it apply to us today? Does it have anything to say to it? Surely that's just the Old Testament, and we're now under grace. Well, I think one of the best ways I've found uh, helpful to look at the Old Testament is using some verses uh, in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus said something very helpful about the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to what he says. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. That's what we call the Old Testament today. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So what that means really, and, and this, is, this is not the answer to all the questions about the Old Testament, but it's certainly, I think, one of the great keys to how we understand the Old Testament. What we have to do is we have to look at the Old Testament through the eyes of Jesus and his apostles in the New Testament. So what Jesus is saying, look, I haven't abolished it, I've come to fulfill it. So for example, why don't we today sacrifice goats and sheep and pigeons? Why didn't you sacrifice a goat or a sheep or a pigeon in the tent? This probably wouldn't be wise, would it, in the tent? But uh, why don't we do that? Well, because in the New Testament we read that Christ died once for all. Okay, it's been fulfilled. In fact, Jesus is the fulfillment. He's now the one sacrifice that deals with sin. Likewise with food. Why can I eat my bacon sandwich or my sausage sandwich or my prawn cocktail crisps with a clear conscience? Well, because that passage, Rob, that you mentioned earlier, Mark 7, actually tells us, Jesus is saying, look, it's not what you take into your bodies that makes you unclean, unholy before God. It's what comes out of your hearts. And there's a little verse there that says, in saying that, Jesus declared all foods clean. So actually, as Christians, we can eat any food with a clear conscience. But interestingly, Jesus does not say the same thing about sexual relationships. In fact, quite the opposite. What you find is that the teaching in the Old Testament that says no to any sexual relationship outside of marriage is carried on through into the New Testament. So Jesus, as you've mentioned, talks about porneia any and all sexual relationships outside of marriage. And of course, we're told in many of the New Testament letters, flee from sexual immorality. Let there not be even a hint of it amongst you. So I think that's just hopefully a little handle to help you answer those kind of questions. Okay, great. Just a couple more questions before we go into the bigger Q&A time. Um, there are some people that think differently, okay? Can't you just agree to disagree? Some people think this about that, some... You know, isn't this just one of those issues? Christians agree and disagree on a whole number of issues. Is this just one of them? 
Well, certainly there are a number of things that we are free to disagree on as Christians where God's word isn't absolutely clear in how we must behave and how we must act. But I'm afraid this isn't one of those issues. And uh, there are many reasons for that. But let me just show you one passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where Paul is talking about this issue. Now, Corinth, by the way, was a church where people had come into the church from outside and some of them had actually been saved from a background of being involved in gay relationships. They'd been involved with same-sex practices. It was a culture where a lot of that went on. And so Paul is writing here to the Corinthian church, and he's actually saying, look, just as a warning to the Christians, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? So Paul is talking there about salvation. He's talking about who's going to get into heaven. And he then gives us this whole list of behaviors that actually, if we continue in them, Uh, actually will exclude us from heaven. Now, we need to be really careful here. Paul is not saying, look, if you've ever done any of these things, and if you look down that list there, you'll see it includes things such as drunkenness and theft and greed, more general sexual immorality. Paul is not saying if you've ever done any of those things, that's going to exclude you from heaven. He's not saying, look, if you're a believer in Christ and you struggle in these areas, and I still struggle in a lot of these areas, that you're excluded. What he's saying is that, look, the mark of a Christian... The mark of a follower of Jesus Christ is that if we've put our trust in Christ, over time, our behavior is going to change and we're going to move away from these kind of things. We could call these marks of unrighteousness. So the mark of a Christian is that we don't continually and consistently live in these kind of ways, but over time, our behavior is transformed. And included in that is that phrase there, men who practice homosexuality. If you're wondering about women, uh, that's actually covered in Romans 1. Uh, Women are not to practice same-sex practice either. But Paul is saying, look, that is not a mark of being a Christian. Actually, a mark of being a Christian is that we turn away from all those kind of things. So you're not talking about perfection here. I mean, have you ever messed up as a Christian? Is that something? Yeah, yeah I have messed up as a Christian. I mean, I would love to be able to stand before you uh, this morning and say, hey, uh, in the 25 years I've been a Christian, I've lived a life of perfect sexual purity and celibacy. That would just to be, be to be dishonest with you. Uh, I have fallen and failed as a Christian, certainly particularly in my early years. I found it very difficult to leave a same-sex relationship and then to live a, a, a life of self-control and sexual purity. So yes, I've messed up, but when that has happened, I found God to be incredibly gracious and incredibly merciful. I want to say to any of you here, you may have already had some kind of sexual experience outside of marriage. I want to say that actually there is hope for you in the gospel and there is forgiveness and there is a new start. When we put our trust in Christ, and maybe we have to reaffirm our trust in Christ that can all be wiped clean. So that's certainly been my experience. God has been incredibly gracious. And also over recent years, he's been teaching me and showing me that actually it is possible to live a life of self-control. Now, none of us are going to do that perfectly, but Paul in writing to Thessalonians says, each of you must learn to control your own body. So I want to say, please don't believe the lie, the cultural lie, that it's impossible to be self-controlled, that you can't survive without a romantic sexual relationship. It's a lie of our culture, and actually God's word would say, look, each of you can learn to control your own bodies. Thank you. Last question. Um, When I was the age of many other people in this tent, 15, 16, 17, I would have found it incredibly difficult to look at someone in their 40s saying they're single, and I would have been frightened to death of being single in my 40s, okay? Mm. How is it? Um, Do you experience intimacy? And should people be worried about singleness? Sure, yeah. Um, No, it's a a great question. Um, And I I have to say, if I was sitting here and I was sort of 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, I'd be thinking the same thing. Wow, that's just a scary thought. Not to have someone in your life that's special, not to share your life with someone, not to have a sexual romantic relationship. And, And that was one of the reasons why, at the time, I foolishly got involved in a same-sex relationship. If I could live my life again, I want to say I would not be making that decision. No way. Um, And uh, yeah, I I think, as I was saying earlier, I've come to realize that actually being single, being celibate, being unmarried does not mean that we're confined to a life of sadness, loneliness, and frustration, okay? I sometimes have sad and lonely and frustrated moments in my life, but that's not a mark of my life. Uh, In fact, Paul, as I said earlier, talks about um, singleness as being a gift from God. Over in 1 Corinthians 7, he, as a single man, says, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of this kind and one of another. So Paul says being married is a gift, 
and being single is a gift. And that's one of the things God has been teaching me recently to, if you like, learn to unwrap and explore that gift of being married. And I think for those of you here, I'm sure most of you probably, certainly the younger people are going to be single, unmarried. I want to urge you to enjoy that time of being single in the right way. And what do I mean by that is don't be so obsessed with being in a relationship with finding that person of your dreams. Enjoy the gift of being single while you have it. And look what Paul says a bit later on in 1 Corinthians 7. He says to the single person, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man and later the unmarried woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things. That's just the next scripture up there on the screen. And his interests are divided. So as an unmarried man, God wants me to devote myself to him. And I want to urge and encourage you, younger ones here, as an unmarried person, while you're unmarried, or maybe you're going to be unmarried for life, devote yourself to the Lord's affairs. He will not let you down. It is not a life that will disappoint. And certainly, uh, I would say my life is fuller now. Uh, than it ever was when I was in a same-sex relationship. And I have real intimacy, uh, intimacy that I didn't really know when I was in a same-sex relationship, intimacy with Christian brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers, that family of God. For me, that just blows away any kind of ungodly intimacy that I experienced before. Fantastic. Yeah, we're charismatic Christians. We love the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and singleness is one of them. Singleness is a charisma of the Holy Spirit. It should Mm. not be despised. It should be used for God's glory. Yeah. I just want to leave you with with one final verse just on that whole intimacy thing. And this is just to really encourage you, maybe challenge you. Um, You may have heard, I'm sure you've heard of David and Jonathan. It's probably one of the biggest examples, if you like, of same-sex intimacy that was not sexual. Don't let anybody tell you it was sexual. No evidence of it being sexual at all. But um, what happens is that after Jonathan, David's friend, dies, he says this. He kind of gives a song of lament. And he says, I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of women. That's an incredible statement to make, okay? What David is saying, remember this is David. knew a lot about the love of women. He had quite a bit of experience. But what he's saying is that in his same-sex friendship with Jonathan, he experienced a love that was more wonderful, even than the erotic love that he had experienced with women. And that's certainly increasingly been my experience. There is a love more wonderful, that agape, brotherly, sisterly love, which surpasses even the erotic love of women. So that's a better love? As for me, that's a better love. Than a same-sex relationship? What's that? Than a same-sex relationship? Way better, yeah, way better, way deeper and way, way closer than I ever had in my same-sex relationship. Fantastic. Okay. Great. We've covered a few of your questions that you may have been wanting to ask. Um, We've got a number coming up on the screen now. You may want to ask us anything. We're not going to be able to cover every single question that you have. But if you don't feel like you can come up to one of the microphones on either side of the stage, there's one there and one there, um, then please do just text that number and ask us any question you'd like. We're pretty much unshockable, no enough. Yeah, um, that's right, yeah. yeah. So please just make, sort of form a queue. If you want to ask a question publicly, you're happy to do that behind one of the microphones. We're going to take as many questions as we can. Uh, we're going to finish formally at 12.30, so those of you who want to go can, but we're very happy to carry on beyond that. So we'll, we'll have a pause at 12.30, and then if you want to carry on, if we haven't got through your questions, uh, we'll do that. And then we will also be available in the engaged tent from about 2 o'clock this afternoon. Please come and chat to us. Please come and ask any question you want or challenge us. If you want to express a different opinion, uh, we're really willing to do that. So if you've got a question, why don't you just head to the microphone. Now we've got a few people over there. And if you want to text a question, you don't want to speak it publicly, we'll take as many as we can. Okay. Fantastic. Uh, We've got our first text message in, and it says, hi. Hi. Hello. Thank you for the warm welcome at New Day. Um, Second one. How do you handle knowing you like someone of the same sex, but having to put it aside? So how do you handle knowing that you like someone of the same sex but have to put it aside? I think firstly, just that question, I don't know exactly what you mean by like someone, but I think sometimes we're in a culture where liking someone can maybe even be make us think, oh, am I doing something wrong by liking someone? You know, there's nothing wrong with actually finding a friend attractive. You can find a friend attractive in lots of ways. So I find some people attractive just because actually they love the Lord Jesus. I find that incredibly attractive. I find some people attractive because they're just really nice people. They're great to be around. So I think we have to watch that we don't allow ourselves to feel guilty just for liking someone. Now, of course, what we have to do as Christians is make sure that that like of someone 
doesn't lead us into maybe lustful thoughts or actually lead us into idolatrous thoughts. So you can like someone and you can almost make a god of them and you start to kind of obsess over them and want to worship them. So what we need to do is we need to pray for God's help so that we don't lust over a same-sex friend and that we don't obsess over them. And God can give us the grace in that. And sometimes it's really helpful to share what you're struggling with with another Christian friend, maybe a youth leader, maybe someone else that you trust outside of your church. Who knows who it will be, but someone who can really help you to work that through. But please don't be discouraged from making good, godly, same-sex friendships. There will be struggles, there will be temptations, but they can be overcome. Okay, should we take our first question from the microphone here? So yes, let's hear your question. Thank you. Hello, I just wanted to know whether you would accept that negative stigma against the LGBT community can negatively affect the health and mental well-being of that community, can lead to violence against them, and that often religious institutions help perpetuate these stigmas. Okay, thank you. That's a really good question. Do you want to take that, Rob? You want me to take it? Yeah, I think it can do. Um, I think what I'd say is the cultural pressure to identify myself as part of some sort of invisible community is a bit strange. Um, mm. So I've never really felt, even though I'm gay, even though I'm attracted to the same sex, that I'm part of this community of LGBT people. Um, I think we have to be very, very careful as a church and as Christians not to stigmatise anyone. A lot of our work is in fighting homophobia. I experienced a lot of homophobia growing up and that wasn't nice. Um, but we can say that the way God designed sex and the way we believe that a good gift of sex should be used is within one specific context. We don't feel that is getting at anyone. We don't feel that is hateful. We believe Jesus loves people so much. Uh, he offers them something so, so much greater. I think one of the biggest dangers and one of the biggest challenges in my life was when the culture says, you have to have sex to be happy. I mean, just think of all the awful ramifications that causes to people that can't have sex, to the disabled, to people in all sorts of different ways. So, yes, absolutely. And when the church has failed, and when people have encountered homophobia, we need to apologize to people for that. We need to love people deeply. But we need to show that the Christian view of sex is still good. Yeah, I think it's really important that we all of us watch our language when we're talking about this, that we never use prejudicial or homophobic language. We, you know, let's remember, gay people are people that God loves and that he died for, and actually he wants people to come to know him. Okay, should we take a question from over this side? Thank you. Would you still call yourself homosexual even though you're not with anyone? Thank you very much. Um, I personally don't use the term homosexual to describe myself. Um, I think it's actually quite important for us as Christians not to feel that pressure that we have to label ourselves according to who we're sexually attracted to. Not least because actually who we're sexually attracted to can often fluctuate, certainly during our teenage years, but often way beyond that too. So no, um, I now call myself a Christian. That's really the only label I want to have. Uh, if you push me, I would say I'm a Christian who has an ongoing battle with same-sex temptations. But I'll be honest and say I have an ongoing battle with lots of things. So my attitude to money and how I use my time. But that's not how I personally want to identify myself now. Okay, we had a text question. Were you born gay or was it environmental influences? Wow, that's a really great question. Um, okay, was I born gay or was it environmental? The short, the short answer is I don't know. Uh, and actually, I don't think um, science is quite sure on that either. So there are all sorts of theories out there. I think what most respected experts would say is that probably there are a combination of factors that cause some people to be attracted to those of the same sex. So that might be uh, um, environmental factors, upbringing. It may be some uh, biological, genetic factors. It may be relational factors. Uh, as a Christian, I wouldn't actually have a problem if, if there was something genetic, biological, because we have to remember, don't we, that we're actually born into a fallen, broken world. So not one of you younger people or older people here today um, have a perfect set of genes, okay? Some of you are looking really disappointed at that point. I'm really sorry to be the bearer of bad tidings. But it's true, not one of us has a perfect set of genes. Remember David, what he says? He says, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. So actually, we're all of us born with inherent sin. Um, so, um, yeah, I think it's probably a combination of factors. Um, and, but as I say, science hasn't ever proven what causes someone to be gay. And I think actually what matters is that God loves us, whatever our sexuality, and he calls us to live a life that honors him. Okay, one more question from the text before we go back to this side. Um, how do we share the gospel with our gay friends? How do we share the gospel with our gay friends? Okay, I think in one sense, um, sharing the gospel with a gay friend is really like sharing the gospel with any other friend. 
what I would encourage you to do is not focus on the fact that they're gay. That's not actually their main issue. Their main issue is that they need to know Jesus Christ as Lord. So we don't expect Christians, uh, people who aren't Christians, to live Christianly. Okay? We mustn't impose our morality onto people who aren't Christians. So I would say don't focus on the fact they're gay. Focus on introducing them to Jesus and to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And of course, if they ask you questions about what you think as a Christian about homosexuality, then pray for God's grace to answer that with gentleness and, and truthfully, but show them that God does not condemn them because they are gay and that actually the gospel is good news for them too. Okay, we have quite a queue of people over here. Let's take a couple of questions over here. Yep. Um, you said earlier that you couldn't couple being gay and being a Christian. So how do we get alongside and love our brothers and sisters who are struggling with same-sex attraction in the church in a way that we're not saying, oh, it's fine, don't worry about it, but also in a way that's not saying, oh, you are damned, this is, you know, how do you find Thank the you. radical middle? That's a brilliant person? question. Rob, do you want to take, take that one? Um, can you take it? Okay, I'm going to take that. He's looking at the text. <laughs> okay, how do we get alongside a Christian brother or sister who is experiencing same-sex attractions, wanting to follow Christ. Okay, I think one of the first things you can do, actually, is just learn to listen. I think what a lot of people need, they don't need someone to kind of lecture them. They don't need to be bashed over the head with the Bible. Actually, they just need someone to listen to their story. So why don't you ask questions? Ask them, hey, tell me a little bit. What is this like for you? What has it been like for you trying to work out your sexuality and your faith in God? So ask lots of questions. And then I think, actually, ask them, what can I do? I want to be your friend, your brother, your sister in Christ. How can I practically support you uh, to help you in your walk with Christ? So, I mean, some of the things that really help me is just people being prepared to be there for me, there for me to encourage me, there for me when I've fallen and failed to help pick me up, just to pray with me and for me, and just to assure me that, look, I love you. You're my brother in Christ, and I'm not bothered by the fact that you're attracted to same-sex people. I just want to help you walk with Jesus. So I think ask questions, pray for people, and be prepared for the long haul just to stick by people who experience okay. those. Wait, Without we're going to take another one from over here. So, yeah, quite a lot of people have been waiting. Hi, so what I was thinking is we all know that God loves the sinner, not the sin. So when it comes to gay marriages, we know that God loves the couple, but if they're getting married in the church, is God okay with that? So is he, does he think that that's not a good thing since in the Bible he doesn't sure. approve of gay couples? Thank you very much. Yeah, I think we should distinguish, like Jonathan was saying, between whether the people are Christians or not. So... Um, you know, we can't impose our morality on people who don't know Jesus. The only motivation for me to leave my same-sex relationship was because Jesus was so much greater. So I don't think we should be um, having gay marriages in our churches because that's not what God says. Oh. We should live according to the Bible. And I would distinguish with my gay friends. So if I had a Christian friend who was gay and wanted to get married, then I'll challenge him very lovingly, like Jonathan was saying, that you know, this isn't the way we should be living our lives in response to God. But if it was a non-Christian friend, what, what can I do except share the gospel and the love of God mm. with them? So, in summary, I don't think we should be hosting gay marriages, but we shouldn't be condemning people. We should share the gospel. One of the things I would add to that is both Rob and I are in the privileged position, really, of traveling around the country and speaking at different conferences and churches. And we get to hear about a number of stories, some great stories, of gay couples, married couples, coming into churches and attending an Alpha course or a Christianity Explore course, whatever it may be, and actually coming to faith. So let's remember to pray for people in that situation. I heard of one uh, lesbian couple who came to church with their daughter, their adopted daughter. The daughter went to Sunday school. She became a Christian and started witnessing to her parents. Okay, so let's not feel that God's given up on gay people. By no means has he. There is great news. And he's at work today in what's going on through our culture. Okay. Should we take one from here and then one from the text? How, who did you tell that you was gay and how did you tell them? Thank you. Okay, um, I'll, I'll ask this first, then I'll ask Rob too. So when I was younger, I grew up in the 80s. That's a long time ago. It's kind of Duran Duran time. Anybody? No, okay. Yeah, woo, woo, thank you. Okay, so um, it was actually much more difficult then to speak to people. So I didn't really tell anybody 
until I was about 17. I didn't tell my parents until I was 24 and had become a Christian. Um, so things were a lot more difficult now. I think it's uh, hopefully for most people a lot easier. So Rob, do you want to talk about your experience there? Yeah, I told a few friends and I also was feeling really low about how to reconcile my faith and my sexuality. So I actually contacted um, True Freedom Trust after working the issue through and knowing that I didn't want to act on his desires anymore. So Jonathan was one of the first people that I told in a very long and rambly email mm. back in the day. Yeah, um, I think what we should do is, let's say if there, is, if there are people here and this is your issue, you're just a bit confused, you're not sure about your sexuality, I would encourage you to talk to somebody. Now, you need to find somebody that you can trust somebody that you don't believe is going to judge you and speak harshly to you. That may be a youth leader, it may be a lead, another leader at church, it may be a trusted Christian friend, uh, it may be your family. Some of you may feel you can talk to family members, others I know don't. But I would encourage you, try to talk to somebody. Don't bottle it up. I bottled it up on, and dealt with it on my own and ended up far, far away from God and it's not a good thing to do. Okay, we've got well over 100 questions that have come in, so we're so sorry that we can't 100. answer them all. Well over 100. Okay. Um, but one of them was sent to me with lots of emojis, so I really can't ignore this. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, that's, that's cheating. It's the emoji. It's the emoji <laughs> factor. Um, how, can, how far can a couple go physically in a relationship? So I'm not really sure. So I'm not sure whether we're talking here about same sex. Uh, I'm assuming that we are talking about same sex. Oh, I mean, actually, we may be talking generally. How far can a couple go? I want to say to you... So, sorry, just to qualify that, yep. um, we want to know, is it okay for two people of the same sex to be girlfriend or boyfriend, but okay. without the sex? Without the sex, okay. I think what's really important in these kind of questions, and we get these sort of questions a lot, I actually think, and this is not to have a go at whoever said this question, I, I, it's a brilliant question, and it's a question lots of people ask, but I kind of think we're asking the wrong question. I think what we need to be asking in any friendship or any relationship, if it's, if it's called a relationship, we need to be asking, how can I honour God in this relationship? And how can I honour my brother or sister in Christ, assuming that this person is a Christian? See, what the Bible does, it doesn't give us lots of rules about, this is what you can do, you can kiss, you can hug, you can touch this, you mustn't touch that. The Bible doesn't do that. It simply says, flee sexual immorality. Be godly, be holy. Uh, there's a lovely verse where Paul says to Timothy, he says, you're to treat... Um, people, people who are Christian sisters, treat them as sisters. People who are older than you, treat them as fathers or mothers. Uh, and he says, treat them with absolute purity. So really what we need to be saying is, how can I treat my Christian brother or sister with absolute purity? So if you're in a relationship with somebody of the opposite sex, that person in the future may be somebody else's wife or husband. So in a way, we have no right to be leading them down a path towards having sex or having sexual contact with that person because they may end up not being our husband or wife in the future. Great, thank you. And there's a few texts coming in about transgender and intersex. Um, I'd really recommend that you listen to Andrew Wilson's talk yesterday because he knows a lot more about that okay. than we do. Can I just suggest then at this point, what we're going to do, um, Rob is going to say just a few words, three, four minutes, just to, to wrap things up officially. What we're going to do is we're going to stop at half past 12, okay? And what I want to encourage you to do is if you want to leave, and that's perfectly fine, that's the official finish time, and you want to go off, that's absolutely fine. Could you do that really quickly and really quietly at half past 12, okay? Um, please kind of leave as quickly as possible at half 12. But if you want to stay, we're going to be here till 1 o'clock, and we're happy to take as many questions as you want to throw at us. And if you don't get your question answered, if you haven't had it answered by text, please come and speak to us in the Engage thing. We're here to serve you today, so I'm going to hand over to Rob and let him conclude, and then we'll have the official stop time, and then leave, please, if you need to. Okay, thanks, Yeah, Rob. so just a few final, very, very quick thoughts to leave you with. Um, I want you to leave with a message that having sex in this life is not the goal, and a romantic relationship is not the goal. So whether you're going to be single for the rest of your life, or married, whether you're attracted to people of the same sex, the opposite sex, or both sexes, it doesn't, it's, not, it's not the main point. It's not the main purpose. Because Jesus says that in the age to come, we are not going to marry or be given in marriage. So no one will be married to another person in the age to come. But if you trust in Jesus, you're part of the church. Okay? And the church is a diverse mix of different people from different ethnicities and races and age ranges. And the church is also called the Bride of Christ. Okay, the bride of Christ. So there's a time coming when we're going to be married to Jesus. We're going to be married to him as the church. So just think about this for a second. At the time of most overwhelming joy, 
there will be no sex because we'll be like the angels. And at the time when we have more pleasure than we can ever imagine, there will be no marriage in an earthly sense because we'll be married to Christ. Just listen to these words in Revelation 19. Here's where we're going to end. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. Every single one of you today is invited to this wedding supper. Jesus died for you. Jesus loves you. And if you've accepted Jesus into your heart, I will just urge you, and I'm urging myself as well, live a life of sexual purity in a way that honors your future groom, in a way he wants you to live your life. Let's pray as we close. Father, we thank you for your word, the Bible. We thank you that it's good. We thank you for the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord, through emotional hurts and difficulties. And we pray through whatever we're facing, whatever challenges that we face, that you'll come near to us by the Holy Spirit, you'll comfort us, and you'll help us to know that following your way, following that narrow path which leads to life, which isn't always easy to walk, that following that path is worth it and will bring ultimate joy. Amen. Amen. Okay, uh, that's great. Um, If you wanted to stay and listen to more answers to questions, um, maybe encourage you just to come towards the front. Don't feel you have to, but maybe just uh, helps us to see see you a little bit closer if if you're able to come to the front. Um, So we're going to take as many as we can. Now, this one says, read me! Exclamation mark, exclamation. Well done. Um, that's the way to get noticed, isn't it? So this person says, I find it hard to comprehend why a loving God who encourages us to marry and reproduce would make somebody gay if it's so wrong. I believe that everyone deserves the chance to love. It's not fair that someone should have to repress their feelings. Do you want to take that, Rob? Yeah, definitely. I think we all repress our sexual feelings to one degree or another. Even my non-Christian mates who are having a lot of sex don't jump on people in the middle of the street. You know, they're repressing their feelings to one degree or another, and we all do that. Um, is it unfair that God makes us this way? Well, I don't think God does make us this way. I don't think it's as simple as that. People are complex. We can't just say every single person has been made this way from God. There are lots of things in the world that are not as God intended them to be. What we have a chance to do, every single Christian, not just people who struggle with this issue, every single Christian has a chance to express the love of God more than, you know, in response to God's good commands. Do you want to add anything to that? That's great. No, thank you, Rob. That's great. I'm going to try and get through as many of these as quickly as we can. Uh, A question here is, where's the line between attraction and lust? One can be attracted to someone, which means that they would obviously consider a relationship. So where is that line? Is being attracted to the same sex a sin? Should I take that one? Um, Yeah, I think we need to recognize that there is a difference between um, attractions and lust, most definitely. So you can be, as I was saying earlier, you can be attracted to somebody on all kinds of levels. It doesn't necessarily have to be a sinful attraction. But um, there is a difference, I think, between temptation and sin. So once we move to the line of lusting over anybody, actually, that we're not married to, then we have moved into the area of sin. So when I find somebody of the same sex attractive... I try to bring that to God in prayer and say, Lord, I find this person that you've created attractive. Please help me, A, not to obsess over them, and B, not to lust over them. And as long as I resist that temptation to lust or obsess, then I don't believe that's sinful at all. I can't help the fact that I find people of the same sex attractive, but as long as I don't actually act on that by lusting or by obviously being involved in same-sex practice, then I've not sinned. Okay, should we take one from the floor? What are you going to do our very best? Um, This side, please. Thank you. Um, So you've already kind of answered this, but my friends are convinced that you're born gay. So they always ask me this question. They go, if we're born gay, why did God make you like this, even though he doesn't agree with it? 
Sure. Um, firstly, God knows that we're going to want to do a whole host of things that the Bible says we shouldn't do. If you think about it, why would the Bible say not to do them unless God knew originally we're going to want to, or at least some people are going to want to? And as I was saying, I think it's too simplistic to say that God makes people gay. We're not sure whether people are born gay. They might be, and they might not be. Um, but do you want to flesh this out a bit? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, people can be convinced that they're born gay, and it may well be possible. It may well be that somebody's born gay. I don't think it's ever as simple as that. I think it's likely to be a combination of factors. And, uh, the, you know, the Bible certainly says we're all of us born with sinful uh, natures, sinful hearts, sinful desires. Um, so even if somebody does say that they're born gay, I don't think that means that naturally God then says it's okay to be in a gay relationship because we're born with lots of, I mean, you know, I have all kinds of sinful desires. So, you know, I, I have a desire to grab lots of money. You know, I can get a bit, bit covetous when people have got lots of money. That doesn't mean that it's actually right for me to do it. I'm not comparing those two things, of course. But we can't say that just because even if we are born with something, uh, it doesn't actually mean it's what God wants us to, to do, how he wants us to live. So a question here, how do we engage with other churches who condone homosexual relationships? Yeah, I think Paul gives Timothy a really good principle on how to engage with other churches who condone same-sex relationships. He says that you're to... Ha, the verse is lost. He says that you're to preach the truth gently. Along those lines. Those who oppose you... Yeah, in, instruct way, those who oppose you with gentleness. So, yeah. yeah, we have to gently speak the truth to people who think differently to us. And we do that recognising that we actually can't change someone's mind. So, if somebody claims to be a Christian and they're believing something different about same-sex practice, which is not in the Bible... We can't convince them to think otherwise, but the Holy Spirit can convince them. So our job is to instruct them gently, and that verse says, in the hope that God will grant them repentance and leave them to a knowledge of the truth.